I look at the relationship that you have now with your children, you wouldn't have that if you would have said, okay, I'm going to just focus on the career while they're young. And then when they're old, hope to go start a relationship and start establishing some credibility with them. Better than not balancing the two, but even better than that is try to combine the two. Get mm -hmm. creative. Be crazy. Do something no one else has ever done. And yes. try to combine family and work and, and you know, we were uh, uh, in a family business growing up, but even more importantly, we were a business family. Howdy folks, welcome back to the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed this interview with Peter Van Strahlen. There is so much that could be said about Peter and you're gonna be able to hear bits and pieces of his story and what they've done as a family over the last, what is it, eight years now that they've been on the road. They really inspire me because they are a perfect example of thinking outside of the box when it comes to creating systems and creating a lifestyle that's conducive to a healthy family. I felt like I had so many like limiting beliefs broken when I heard Peter's story and how they've made changes to their life that really promote being a healthy family, staying together as a family, pouring into their children. Um, and, and I love that. Like he really just had, he, there were so many paradigm shifts that I had through this, throughout this conversation. So I hope it serves the same for you. The Van Strahlen family has been on the road for the last eight years during, doing the epic family road trip. And it is nothing short of epic. I'm going to link their YouTube channel, their Instagram, and any other platforms that they're on so that you can follow along. They're currently living off, off grid uh, in, in Canada um, on an island, which is it's just so fun, the way that they're doing life. Um, but about Peter himself, he is a successful entrepreneur, um, and you're going to hear a lot about that. I love they call call themselves a business family. They don't have a family business. They are a business family, and they, they talk that way in their language. Um, but a, a quick bio about Peter before we get going. For nearly three decades, Peter Van Strahlen has succeeded in creating remarkable experiences for his employees and customers through his principles of care leadership. In 2015, he and his family embarked full-time on an epic family road trip that continues today, setting off across North America to work hard, have fun together, and make a difference in the world through caring for others. This is kind of something, some more of a story. Peter's story is an entrepreneurial dream. As teenagers, he and his brothers borrowed a lawnmower and began a business, eventually building it into a successful franchise system. Through a commitment to professional development, Peter has reinvented himself many times since his days as a 16-year-old laborer. He became a certified franchise executive and, as CEO, grew his family business into one of the largest in the industry. He also helped broker a key strategic partnership with the Dwyer Group, which led to a beneficial acquisition. Folks, enjoy the podcast. The now that we're a family podcast. Well, Peter, thank you so much for being with us here today. I, there are so many things that I personally, in a selfish way, want to talk to you about, but I also want to be able to give our audience as much of a general overview as to what you do and who you are. So, We'll see where we get to in this conversation, but if you could maybe give our audience a, a kind of a brief, like, I guess, intro slash where you're currently at, you know, like what's your current situation and what does your life look like right now? Yeah. So right now, as we speak, we are me and my family. So my wife and three adult kids now, they're all grown up, Caroline, Pete Jr. and Daniel. We just spent the winter at our cabin so we've had this cabin for 20 years it's on a 10 acre private island on a lake in northern ontario and up till now we've come up here for vacation you know during the summer but uh this was one of those things that we put on our bucket list we wanted to challenge ourselves and see if we could manage an entire winter at the lake so uh we're in march so we've done it uh you know we've got a lot of adventure still ahead because it's it, i look out the window there it's still winter but uh at some point in the next couple of weeks maybe a month the ice is going to start breaking up and you know one of the challenges this year was uh in the fall you know you can take a boat out to the mainland um because we're way out here like we're off the grid we're on an island with nobody else around so you can take a boat to the mainland where our car our jeeps are but then it starts to freeze over so you have about a month where you can't boat and you can't snowmobile so we were completely isolated and locked in for a month. So that was our big challenge. Wow. And then again, in the spring, when it's too, the ice is too broken to take a snowmobile safely, but it's not broken enough to take a boat. There's another month of isolation. 
And so that requires a lot of preparation and having enough food on hand and all that stuff. So those two big challenges, uh, we we still have the, the, the spring break up ahead of us, but um, it, we, we came through swimmingly. We did all right. We had enough materials on hand, enough food and storage. We've got solar and batteries um, for electricity. And then as, as you, we talked about earlier, we've got Wi-Fi here. Um, so that's what we're doing right now. And wow. uh, we get lots of visitors. People come up on snowmobiles and boats. It's not like we're completely isolated from the world. But for those two months, we in in essence, we are so. Wow, good for you. So then how, how did it feel? Because, you know, you guys mentioned in one of your recent videos for the last, I think, is it seven uh, years now? You've been chasing summer, so to speak, you know, in the winter months. And so how did that feel? Not just staying in a northern climate for the winter, but being off grid in a cabin in an isolated location like that. You went from chasing summer to like the most extreme version of living through winter. How, how was that? Yeah, it was it was it was completely different from what we've been used to the last seven years. I almost forgot how tough the winters can be. Um, you know, I grew up in the winter business. We can talk about that, you know, plowing snow and all that when I was younger. So I, I'm familiar with winter. But like you said, being isolated from everyone else and, and totally 100 percent relying on our own preparations, our own self-reliant skills, our own ability to cook for ourselves, make food and um create uh, have enough firewood on hand to to make sure we have shelter warmth filtered water you name it right it's uh, yes it was something it was definitely different yes. one of our coziest and probably favorite christmases of all time wow uh just hanging out here with the fire going and just being together as a family and just, it was just although it was tough outside of the cabin the weather was crazy out there inside here was warm and just memories we'll never forget right on good for you and and you feel like you guys nailed the food storage and uh, the heat and all that stuff yeah we have a couple of we have about five cords of wood left so that'll get us through the winter and we'll have spare for next year so we calculated good on that that was one of our worries although we knew that if we ran out we could go out and get more in the forest you know but we had enough wood on hand we had enough propane on hand we had enough food so we have like dry storage of you know dried goods we have a big fridge and freezer which runs off of propane okay and then we have a big freezer now in a separate cabin that runs off of solar so it's a very efficient 12 volt freezer and we'd never used that before but we're really impressed and we stocked that right to the top with with food good <laughs> and it's right near the bottom now so we we're gonna have to get a bit more in before okay. the spring but uh yeah, we, we're thankful that we calculated properly on that. Good. You were eating well all winter long. Oh, yeah. You should, good. Yeah. If you know how Carol and Caroline can make some pretty good meals, we've been eating really well. Yeah, I think it was, it might have been the last video, there was a stew that Caroline made that was, yeah, hard not to want to be be a part of, you know, on this end of the video. Uh, that's great. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. Can you kind of back us up? Because, you know, your story is extremely intriguing to Katie and myself and 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 I, I should I don't think I mentioned this we've we've hung out with you guys a few times in person we originally met you in Bend Oregon um maybe tell me if I'm incorrect here maybe five or six years ago um Bend Oregon and you guys were still kind of towards the beginning of this road trip thing as a family and and we were inspired by you back then and we loved the like-minded vision that you had with your adult children you know your adult children at that point were very capable, articulate, confident kids. And that really stood out to Katie and myself. And it seems like that's only continued to progress, you know, and they've only developed to, you know, continue to develop. Um, so I'm excited to hear how that came to be, you know, with your parenting and your family life, but could you back us up even further, maybe kind of like to your childhood, um, and what your family experience was like, uh, growing up? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a, in a large family, um, of 10 boys and five girls so i'm i'm one of 10 boys wow <laughs> i don't I think, think i knew that, that. that's, that's great. great right yeah uh, yeah so my my mom grew up to go way back when she was young she had two siblings one was 14 years younger than her but their neighbor had 12 siblings they were a family from holland and at her house it was just dead quiet just boring what she would call maybe boring to use that word she'd go to her neighbor's house her friends there and it was absolute bedlam and it was the funnest time of her life and so she was a young teenager when she said to her dad i i, I want to have 12 kids 
And then she met my dad. And the first thing she said is, uh, you know, I know you like me and we want to get together, but I want to have 12 kids. <laughs> Made sure he knew that right off the yes. bat. He was like, I'm fine with that. Let's do it. And they had 15. I mean, she said 12 just because her neighbor had 12. Yes. But we, so I had the best upbringing ever growing up in a large family. Um, super good times. My parents are still, they're in their early 80s, just as vibrant and healthy and strong as you'd ever imagine. So having that large family didn't do them any harm. And now they're surrounded by, I don't know, 90 some odd grandchildren. Wow. And all of whom absolutely love them. So they get overwhelmed with just this big, big family. We used to eat together on Thanksgiving and things like that. It's just too big now. Yeah. We do it with all these separate families, but um, it's, it'd be too much for my mom to have like 90 or hundred people there, but yeah. uh, we, they, they're just surrounded in a beautiful family. So that, that was my upbringing. So um, I have nothing but just uh, amazing memories. So then when I got married and, oh, th the other thing is we started a business together way back uh, when I was 16, my brother was 17. And uh, we borrowed a lawnmower off my dad and we started mowing lawns, which is, you know, I, I meet a lot of people that say, oh, I used to do that too. But we took it to the next level. So we stuck with it, um, despite everyone saying, oh, when are you going to get a real job? You know, can't mow lawns forever. We just said, well, maybe we can, maybe we can take this big. And so, you know, I spent probably five years of my career just being a, a laborer, pushing on the lawnmower, working hard. But I knew I didn't want to stay there. So what I did was put myself through college so I could open the second chapter of my career, really, which was a, a skilled laborer. I, I became an arborist. So I was able to bring a skill to the market, grow our business to the next level, hire some people to do the labor work. And so I did about five years as a laborer and then five years as a skilled laborer. And again, I knew I didn't want to stay like that for the rest of my career. So I, I realized in order to go to the next level, we have to really learn how to build a business, not just have a job. And so I began to get out of the truck and into learning how to build a team, how to build a great culture, how to recruit and keep good people and how to build a brand. Really what we were trying to do is take it from just being a, another small business to an actual brand that is known far and wide, not only for what we do, but for how we do it. So we began, I spent five years learning how to build a brand and we began uh, developing what we called the culture of care, which stood for create a remarkable experience. Hmm. So our goal, with everyone we recruited to the team, anyone we hired, anyone we brought on, we wanted to hire people that were predisposed to the value of creating a remarkable experience, going above and beyond what we would call second mile service, you know, doing something for our clients that was above and beyond, not just meeting their expectations. They would hire our company because uh, they expected us to do a great job. We wanted to do something that was remarkable, that they would remark about, something that would just go slightly above and beyond. And so we'd do anything as, you know, we'd mow their lawn, but then we'd take a few seconds to bring up the garbage bins or the recycle bins to the garage for them. Or, you know, just all kinds of different things to go above and beyond, not only for our customers, but we expanded that to our, our communities in which we operate. So, so that the theme of our business wasn't you know, what we happened to do was to mow lawns, but what we actually were about was what we called the culture of care. And it it helped us expand uh, amazingly outside of our community. And then uh, eventually we started franchising and went all across Canada and then all across the U.S. to the point where with the help of a, a partner in the States, we, we grew to 200 plus uh, franchise locations. Wow. Wow. And that's, I mean, that's extremely noteworthy and something, I mean, a couple of things I want to say about that. It's so easy, I think, to lose, to not have a realistic perspective on timelines. I mean, I think of when I met you and my father-in-law, Chad, introduces you and he kind of gives me this brief history and he goes, oh yeah, you know, Peter's crushed it. And, you know, and he built these, this successful franchise and, you know, he, it was up to this size and then he sold it and this is what he's doing. And it kind of sounds like this quick thing that happened. But when you you mentioned a couple time frames that I think it's easy to overlook. You you know did that for five years is not a short amount of time, especially when you're young. That's a big part of your life, right? And so you 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 did that initial labor stretch for five years, and then you did the skilled labor for five years. And then you said I'm going to devote the next five years to developing my business skills and growing this uh, that that side of me. Uh, that is something that I think is so easily overlooked in entrepreneurialism and in starting a business. You just mentioned five years or sorry, you just mentioned 15 years right there as though it was assumed. 
but that's a huge life commitment to get to, to get to where it really was. What did that feel like in the midst of that? Did you have entrepreneurial role models? Like was that, because to be able to stick with it like that, you have to have some sort of vision, some belief, some hope that it can turn into something. So what was it that kind of had given you that vision? Yeah, so uh, that's exactly right in terms of the what I would call chapters, you know, five years as a labor, five as a skilled labor, five years learning to build a brand. But then another five where I went back to school and I became a certified franchise executive and and spent five years franchising before we eventually uh, got acquired. So it's a 20 years, 20 years of, of business. You know, some people see just the the end result and they go, hey, that overnight success. They yes. don't realize it was 20 years in the making. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one thing we learned early on, and there's times where we lost a vision, but we learned that you have to have a vision. Without a vision, without a goal, you soon lose track of where you're going. So we... We didn't always have that. Like I said, there were times we lost track of that. And I'd be like, you know, I don't want to be doing this the rest of my life. And then uh, as a family, one thing my parents taught us since we were kids, we'd sit around this huge dinner table with 17 people. And it was not just a time to eat, but it was a time to talk, communicate. We we learned early to communicate. Someone's down, someone else brings them up. Someone has questions, someone else answers it. Someone's kind of lost their vision. Someone else is sharing their vision. And we kind of we made sure that that stayed part of our culture growing up. So if you're eight years into it and you just think it's not going anywhere and you know, you, you, we learned to talk and someone else would say, are you kidding me? This is our vision. This is my vision. What, how can you fit into that? And so it would keep us all going. And it got to the point where we got more serious about that vision in that we took time every year to set a short-term goal and a long-term goal hmm. so that we're looking five years into the future rather than just focusing on, man, I'm not there yet, you know? Yes. Yeah. So I always encourage people to look at it, your life as chapters because, you know, and enjoy each chapter. Don't, hmm. don't say, I can't wait till I'm in chapter five. And chapter one was, was amazing. We enjoyed it, you know? Chapter two, when I was being a skilled laborer, I also met my wife in that chapter. And we brought three wonderful children into the world. Wow. And I've never been busier in my life. Yes. Um, but we enjoyed every minute knowing that this is just a chapter of our life. Don't lose heart there. I meet so many small business people and they're changing diapers and they're, they're you know, a young one on the way. Plus the demands of the business are, are causing almost a, a conundrum. And so I talked to people about what we did then. So I remember at one point in my life when we were expanding. I was also being called away a lot on trips. I was doing speaking engagements and training sessions and opening franchises and going to conferences. And I got back from a long, pretty extended trip, uh, like a week or so. And I got back and I said to my wife, Carol, like, I don't like this. I, I, I don't like how much the business has taken me away from my number one priority, which is my family. And I don't want the kids to grow up feeling like they have to compete with the business for my attention, which is what most people struggle with. Mm -hmm. And I said, is there something we can do about this? You know, and she thought about it for a while and she said, you know, I've been thinking about this. What if we were to homeschool our kids, take them out of public school, homeschool them. And then when you go on trips, we could actually all go together as a family. You could, take care of your business uh, obligations, but also we could have family time and make a fun trip out of it. And I thought, man, that's genius. And then I said, wait a minute, isn't that going to cost us about five times more than everything costs us now? And she said, yeah, it will, but we may never be rich, but we're going to have a lot of rich experiences. And so I thought that's, let's do that. So we decided, we asked the kids, they were all, all on board. Like, yeah, can I get out of school? Absolutely. <laughs> they couldn't wait. Um, sitting in those four walls and instead we're going to do what we call road school so even before we sold the business and started traveling full-time we started traveling together as a family so rather than flying into a conference if we could drive we'd drive together the five of us we'd do the conference i'd be doing training sessions for three days and then we'd spend a couple of days and have just straight up family time we always tried to make it fun we the kids were into longboarding so we bought five longboards and You'd see, you know, I remember between these back-to-back -back conferences in New York City, you'd see all five of us ripping through Central Park on our longboards oh, and cool. being here, trying not to break our break break any bones. But we we just had fun, and 
the kids met all kinds of really interesting people. There'd be other speakers at these events like Brian Tracy, all these people that they got to meet and sit down and talk to. So their education turned out to be a lot more than what they would have got in school. They, they began to get excited about this thing called what we called road school. Nice. Hey, you guys, I just wanted to tell you real quick about my homeschooling course, Homeschooling the First Three Years. It's all about laying a foundation of joy and confidence and fun and simplified homeschool in your home. So if you're in a place where maybe you're considering homeschooling your kiddos in the next few years, then this course is for you. It's going to break down not only what we do for homeschool and our family and what we've done for the first three years in homeschool, but it's also going to show you exactly how that looks. So I'm going to take a camera around with me vlog style and show you how does it look to homeschool with a baby? How does it look to homeschool with a toddler? How does it look to homeschool multiple grades at one time? How do you navigate um, different learning tendencies? How do you navigate your learning style as a teacher? And how do you motivate children and get them to love learning? I love homeschooling my kids. One of my favorite things that I get to do with them each day. And it's something that I want you to love doing with your children as well. So if you look down in the description box, you will be able to find a discount code where you can get a discount off of homeschool the first three years. And I really hope that it blesses your home. I tell you what, that is an extremely, I think, inspiring and unique detail to your story that you got to that point in your business, which I think a lot of people get to, not just in their business, but in their career, where all of a sudden it's demanding more time of you. And it's really hard to start being clear headed on what you, where you should put your time, because you've put all this time into developing your skills and, and now you're starting to monetize it. It's really starting to pay off. And you're thinking, well, boy, this is time to strike while the iron's hot, right? Like it's start, I'm starting to get a return. And again, this doesn't happen just to entrepreneurs. I think it helps happens to professionals and lots of careers. They get to that point where their career's demanding more and more time from them. And not many people step back and, and evaluate it like you did and say, wait a second, this is taken away from my family. And, and if people do make that evaluation, I think they, they don't, they don't get creative with the solution like what you did. They say, okay, well, I'm going to, a lot of times people will say, I hear this still a lot. I'm going to pour into my career now and then I'll pour into my family later, right? Like it's, it, you can do this one at a time or they'll say, and, and of course, you know, I, I, I won't ever speak against this. They'll make compromises to their career for the sake of their family, which if you have to compromise on a, on something, that's the way to do it for sure. But I love how you guys got creative and you said, well, you know what? This will cost more money. It might take more energy, but we are going to build family memories. And I look at the relationship that you have now with your children. You wouldn't have that if you would have said, okay, I'm going to just focus on the career while they're young. And then when they're old, hope to go start a relationship and start establishing some credibility with them. So I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that that's really insightful and not all that common. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hear all the time, you know, I'm, I'm trying to balance the two. And I always say that's better than not balancing the two. But even better than that is try to combine the two. Get mm -hmm. creative. Be crazy. Do something no one else has ever done. And yes. try to combine family and work. And, and you know, we were... Uh, uh, in a family business growing up, but even more importantly, we were a business family. And I, I think my parents did a great job of, of making that distinction. A family business is something outside of you, but if you're a business family, you're all involved in some way. And it and it and the two become combined. Yes, wow. you have family time completely separate. You shut down the business, of course, but it's not such a drain on the family when you feel like you're a business family. It's just a, a mind thing, but... Uh, it goes... Yeah, I love that mindset shift. So when you're doing this and managing your business, you're traveling through throughout Canada and the US, your kids are doing school on the road. Did you have this vision of getting out of selling selling the franchise, selling the business, or was that something that kind of transpired without you really pursuing it? So really what happened was uh, I, I was teaching all these courses in uh, around North America. And then I, I said, you know what, I'm going to sit as a student in one of them. And the CEO of the company we we're working with was teaching something called Design Your Life. And I said, I'm just going to be a student for the, the next hour. And it was really fascinating because I, I could teach the course, but it was completely different sitting in the chair. And what she said is, I want you to write down a personal dream. And my first reaction is, oh, 
uh, my corporate dream. I had I had GG one two three. It was uh, it was just our goals were that clear. GG one two three was grounds guys, one hundred million in sales, two hundred locations within three hundred weeks, which is five years. Um, they finally hit that now, but uh, good. It's funny you you kind of hit your goals at some point if you write it you down. You do. Yeah. Yes, I oh, agree. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Uh, congratulations. But that's not what the assignment I gave you. I said, what's, I want you to write a personal dream for you, for your loved ones, for your family. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and that made me think. And I said, well, I don't know. I, I've never really thought that way. I've always been so corporate minded. And then I said, well, when I was younger, I had the privilege of seeing with some of my brothers going to some of the great national parks, seeing Banff and Jasper, Yellowstone, the Grand Canyon. I always dreamed that would be amazing to take the kids to see that before they get too old. So I wrote that down. I want to do a three month road trip within five years. And the instructor was saying, it's got to be an impossible dream because for me, three months away from the business, I couldn't do three days at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Let alone three months. But she said, good, it's got to be an impossible dream. Don't worry about the how, just write down the dream. And we did. And then she said, put it on a sticky note and put it somewhere where you can see it on a regular basis. And, and Carol stuck it up on the mirror so we'd see it every morning. And I learned a valuable lesson. As often as I would share my corporate goals and dreams with the team at work, I began sitting down, we began sitting down as a family and sharing our personal dreams and goals. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two are equally important. And I realized mm-hmm. that your personal goals kind of give you the, the drive and ambition to achieve your corporate goals. And your corporate goals, once hitting them, will give you the wherewithal to fulfill and to realize your personal dreams. So we kept that goal in front of us, kept pushing, working hard. And it wasn't five years. It took about seven years. But I, I, I know if I hadn't written that down um, when the time came and we we got acquired, I would have, my natural thing is, okay, how do I go on to my next, right? My next career, yes. my next thing. I was getting all these offers, executive positions. And I was like, no, we have a dream. People are like, what are you going to do? We took that sticky note down off the mirror. We bought a motorhome. Everyone's like, are you going to buy a Lambo? I'm like, I don't want a Lambo. I want a motorhome, something the whole family can fit in. We got this thing and off we went and never wow. looked back. Wow. Good for you. So can you kind of tell us then from that point forward, because not only has it continued far past three months, you know, this kind of, uh, what do you guys call yourselves? Modern uh, what do you, what's the, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you're the modern, modern nomads. Um, but then it, you've also built an online presence, you know, to bring us along so that you can kind of share your experience. Was that, did you have, um, kind of like, I mean, you can't, I mean, like you said, you're not, uh, you're not, you didn't have a family business. You were a business family. And so when you started this, did you ever envision, you know, your ability to kind of maybe, you know, say monetize it or turn it into something that supports itself? Or did that just kind of, you couldn't help yourself because of your entrepreneurial bent as time went on? Well, I, I envisioned that almost from day, from day one, even though we took a couple of years with, without doing anything, not filming. It was a gift to the kids. They had worked hard to get us to where we are in their own way. And we had worked hard to get us to where we are. So it was kind of, let's just go and do some cool stuff together and realize that dream. But in the back of my mind, I was like, this can't last forever. Like once the three months came and went, we were we were down somewhere down south and we hadn't seen all the parks yet. And I said to the kids, oh, let's see three months. You want to go back to school? And they're like, no, let's keep going. I, I started saying, okay, well, at, the, at this point, we got to start looking for a way for you guys to do something more. You know, when you're done school, what can we do on the road? So we really started thinking about different ways of monetizing, making money. And I wanted the kids, me and Carol wanted the kids to learn some entrepreneurial skills, not just be on this free trip. Because too much of anything can become its opposite. And so if we didn't want the kids growing up thinking, you know, oh, traveling is free. I don't know how we pay for it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yes. It's very expensive. And we wanted them to know that. So we tried to involve them in the cost of things. And then to get that mindset of how can we contribute? What can we do? What can we, how can we make money? And so they began researching things like YouTube and other online, you know, creating an online presence and how do you monetize that? What are the revenue streams and, and so on? So it started very small. And for Carol and I, it was more just uh, exciting for us to see the kids, you know, tapping into their entrepreneurial, uh, what they inherited maybe from, yes. from the family. Um, 
And then they just went with it and they started to see that there's an opportunity here. And not only that, but it's something they're excited about. They started learning about cameras and videography and photography and deep diving into it. And I think the the thing about homeschooling or what we called road school or world school, it it opens up their minds to what they're curious about. And then when they're curious about something, there's nobody saying, okay, you've learned enough. Let's go to the next topic. They can deep dive as deep as they want. And that's been exciting to sit back and watch. And when they have conversations with strangers or people, or, or they recently were on a, a trip to last summer, they went with a production company and spent a couple months in the Nordic countries, Iceland and Faroe Islands and Norway and all that. And, uh, the amount of history they learned surprised me when I'm watching these films now. <laughs> they get into this old, you know, castle from, you know, thousands of years ago. And they, they've studied somehow that history and they know it and they're speaking about it. And it's it, to me, I mean, it's just such an incredible education when, first of all, you can get out and see the world, but also you have the freedom to just deep dive into topics. So they've become professional videographers and that's why they get hired to go on these, you know, film these uh, documentary series. Wow, that's pretty pretty cool. So how old were, can you kind of give us a timeline? Like when you started that original three-month trip, how old were the kids? Um, I would have to say uh, something like, I think Dan was 11. Yeah, so 11, 13, and 15. Okay, yep, yep. So they were, okay, great. So yeah, 15, 13, 11. And then as time's gone on, and you've, you know, like like you like you said, they've acquired these, truly valuable skills, you know, through, through doing these things. And not only that, you've traveled the world, you've gained all these, um, gained all these experiences together as a family. Have there been these moments? Like you, it sounds like you kind of have this flow that you inherited from your family of open dialogue. Is that what it's like now with your kids as they're approach, you know, as some of them are adults, as they're approaching adulthood saying, Hey, what do we want the next quarter, the next year, the next, are you talk? is that an open dialogue with the family? Yes. And just like with our family, we got to keep reminding ourselves, you know, without a vision, the people perish. We we haven't done a vision in a while. Let's sit down. We can tell we're kind of losing track, you know. So, we, yes, we do the same thing, but sometimes we forget. So uh, we get together. And even if we've made a five year plan, we need to revisit that pretty often because five years is a long time. You don't you can't wait five years to revisit your, your dream. So you've always got to keep that alive. And that's one skill that we've we've kind of fostered since the beginning um, of the, of the trip and try to keep that communication going. And, and every of the three kids, they all communicate differently. Some are just extremely naturally open. Some will hold everything inside until the last minute. And you have to kind of each draw it out of them and some will just say nothing. And you know, that's when they got to say the most. And so it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's fun. But this type of lifestyle has been a gift for us in that as parents, especially when the kids were younger, that it has given us the time to be able to have those long conversations. And we we are the types of, that will sit there as long as it takes. And we'll sit around a campfire in the desert. We'll be down in, I don't know, the deserts of Utah, had a meal, made a campfire. We'll sit there and talk around the fire as long as it takes to, to get clarity on, on something or to, you know, just communicate until everybody's clear. So, wow. yeah, and the thing about with the family business, there's some there's guidelines, of course. Um, if someone says, "Hey, I want to become a, a professional hockey player," you're like, "Well, that's cool, but how does that fit into the existing structure?" <clears throat> and so, when your kids are coming up with their dreams and goals, we always say, "You know, you could, as long as it fits into the family structure, because otherwise, how do you do it? The only other option is you have to go somewhere else, and then you're no longer part of the family. Any you could do anything you want in life, but." it's much better if it fits into what we're doing. So that's why, you know, well, cameras, I'm excited about cameras, learning all that stuff. Well, that fits in perfectly to what we're doing. So that's something, a conversation you have to have all the time. And when they're older, I mean, you know, they're not going to be home forever. And the kids are at that age where, you know, they're going to get married and move on very, we're, we're at that age now. So we're enjoying every minute while we have it. But yeah, we always have that that conversation. What are your goals and dreams and how does it fit into our lifestyle and into our family structure? And when people say, how can I do what you're doing? I, I have to, I always often say, well, what are you willing to give up in order to be able to do this? Because you just can't have everything and do everything at the same time. Mm. We'll get people saying, well, they, are they missing out hanging out with their friends when you're traveling? And I'm like, well, 
missing out. It depends how you want to call that, but you can't hang out with your friends at the mall and travel at the same time. So you got to pick one, right? Yes, <laughs> that's sure exactly. Friends all come with us, but so we focused way back when we said we we have lots of friends. We're going to make more friends. In fact, there's circle of friends that's grown. It's like meeting your whole family back, you know, five years ago. And then we met several times after that, went surfing together in California, you know, with all, all your wife's siblings. Yes. And um, they include them in their circle of friends now where if we hadn't traveled, we wouldn't have met them probably. Yes. Yeah, that's that's such a cool way to look at it. And I like oh, just a while back, you said you acquired the skill of evaluating your dreams and measuring that. And I don't think people think about goal setting or, you know, encountering considering your dreams as a skill. But there is a way that you can actually acquire a, a helpful way to evaluate your dreams and your goals in such a way where you're seeing continual progress and enjoying the journey too. You know, you're not just looking at this this dream that's always getting further out there because that five-year goals, those will change over time too. And so if you're not enjoying the process and, and measuring that growth, then you'll just find yourself in despair ultimately, you know, in frustration. So I like that you use that term building the skill as a family to, to measure your dreams. Um, and then something else that I, I tell you what, you said you sit there for as long as it takes to have the conversation. And what, you know, business aside, traveling the world aside, what a key insight to parenting. You know, that when, when you've got your children there, it, that, that they need to know that they're the priority. You know, that you're not checking your watch, that you're not saying, hey, well, this, is, this has been good, but we gotta wrap up. And, and, you know, I got to get to the next appointment, but when they know they've got your undivided attention and, and I grew up with that, with that luxury of knowing, Hey, my dad will be up till four in the morning. If that's how long it takes for me to get this all out and to process everything I'm thinking, um, what a privileged spot for both the parent and, and the kid really to have that space. Uh, is that something that you grew up with? Is it something that, you know, just as in regards to parenting, you saw your parents model with, with, with your wife, Carol, is that something that you've had to really be proactive and intentional in, or are you guys just kind of built that way? Um, I grew up that way. My parents would, you know, we've seen some sunrises come up and we're still, you know, figuring things out. And they, we never questioned that they would, wouldn't give us the time needed. And we felt bad. And some, I go back now and go, wow, <laughs> you did that with 15 kids. Yeah. I, I don't know how you managed, but thank you. And yes. so it was, I wouldn't do it any other way with our kids because that's what it takes. You know, uh, it takes, um, life as a young person growing up, there's so many questions and either your friends are going to answer those questions for you or the internet or your teachers. But I think the way God created families was for why God created families was for parents to be there to have those conversations and to give mm -hmm. some clarity from what their experiences were and to allow the kids to, to come up with their, make up their own mind but after having had those conversations. So I, I think back on the trip so far of what we've done, the greatest gift at the time wow. in our old life, in our old life, you know, I had to go to work and Carol had to go to the gym and uh, the kids, their friends were knocking at the door and we will deal with this later. And then later never really comes. And then it's buried under another layer. And, and so the more layers, the more distance between child and parent and you at some point you just got to break through all those layers and get right to each other's hearts right yeah and so that was a, a gift but we didn't all you know to you asked about going for much longer than the three months you know we didn't know that we'd be going this long i mean we we absolutely love every minute of what we're doing but there were some things that happened along the way that kind of got us to this point because we owned our our house still for the first uh, couple of years of our trip one of the uh, opportunities, we, we kept that care model for our travels, create a remarkable experience and try to leave the people we meet in the places we visit a little better than we found them. Mm. And one of the opportunities was to go to Haiti on, on a trip where we brought uh, solar lights to a village that had never had a power grid. They, these people live, it's one of the, the poorest villages in the Western Hemisphere. And um, one of the companies, Mr. Electric, that we are shareholders in, came up with this idea to build these uh, solar panels, a, a LED light and a battery for these 700 families in this village. And so we had the opportunity to go along and spend some time in that village, uh, training the villagers how to use the lights and so on. And it was just really an eye opener for us. I mean, we're there's no electricity and it's extremely hot. It's like 100 degrees during the day and even hotter at night. And we're no air conditioning, no cold shower, nothing. 
and we're living in a concrete building right in the village. And for the kids and our, us as a family, when we we got back to Miami and we're sitting in the, in the air conditioning, having a cold drink with ice in it for the first time in a long time, we just, it hit us. And I remember asking um, my daughter, you know, the kids were sitting there really quietly. And I said, hey, what did that experience mean to you? And, and she said, I, I think we have, or she said, I have too much stuff. I just have my, under my bed, there's just stuff. And on my bed and in my closet, I can't even open the door. And then I have some more stuff in the garage and some in storage. I just have too much stuff. Those people we met had nothing. And yet they were so happy to show us around their little mud huts. And uh, me and Carol were like, huh, oh, that's pretty good insight for a teenage kid. Um, Pete was sitting there and I, I said to him, you know, what did this trip mean to you? And he, th he just looked up without hesitation. He just said, I'm never going to complain again about anything. And uh, Carol and I were looking at each other again. And then young Dan, he was the, you know, just young lad. He had met a couple of guys down there, Haitian kids, his same height, same age, named Hans and Woodley. And he said, uh, Hans and Woodley, uh, they're pretty poor, aren't they? And I said, yeah, you know, they're, that, that's one of the poorest countries in the world. He said, they, do they get to come to Miami? And I said, oh, they, they live there. He's like, wow. Well, then you won't be mad that I left all my clothes behind for them. <laughs> Oh, wow. Like, no, no, we're not mad. In fact, we're very thankful. And we realized, you know, that when you try to create a remarkable experience for someone else, even in business, if it's a client or a customer or someone in your community or a complete stranger, it always comes back to you in greater measure. And mm. uh, that was an eye opener for us. And it also was a time where we we said, you know, we don't need so much stuff. We, we live a pretty um, consumerized life where you, you're kind of people in our neighborhood they are evaluated by the car you drive and, and the house you're in. And, and so that helped us kind of move to the next level of living more simple. And then we carried on our journey and we were in California climbing in the, uh, hiking up some mountains in the uh, Joshua Tree National Park area. We had no cell service in, until we got way up high. And then all of a sudden my phone just started going ding, 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 all these messages coming in. I looked at them. And it was my brother who had been dropping in on the house while we were gone. And he he showed up one morning and the place had been ransacked, completely burglarized. And everything wow. smashed. And all our stuff was all over the floor. And our paintings were all gone that we had on the wall, the good ones. And all the Ikea ones were on the floor. Wow. <laughs> and these people knew exactly. They knew. What they were yeah. And, uh, and so that was kind of the second catalyst. You know, the first was seeing how people live simply in other places. And, and we thought we're, we're too attached to our things. All of a sudden, our house was burglarized and everything that we were attached to was gone, taken. Wow. And so even though that's a horrible thing, we took it as God's going, you want to be detached from your things? Here, I'll help you out with that. <laughs> wow. All of a sudden, wow. all that stuff was gone. And so then we carried on our journey. And then we ended up in uh, Yellowstone National Park. And Pete, our middle child, started getting really kind of losing a lot of weight. He was also growing. He was 14 or something. And, he, you know, he grew a foot that year. So we just expected him to be skinny. But it, uh, we were going to hike the Yosemite Falls. It was 2,500 feet to the top and back. Normally, Pete's, you know, the boys, the kids are up there way before us. We got to the bottom of the hike and he just said, I, I cannot go any further. I've, I have no energy. And so we decided let's just get to a doctor. So we left the national park. I think the next morning and we went to uh, uh, outside of the park to a clinic and we waited there all day and the nurse came in and said, uh, I know what's wrong without even testing him. She could smell ketones in the air. Um, and so he had diabetic ketoacidosis, which is type one diabetes, juvenile diabetes. He had developed without anyone knowing. We knew nothing about that. And he was in, in danger. So she said, drive this road, actually the road you're on and you go an hour and a half, you'll be in just outside of Fresno and one of the world's leading children's hospitals who specializes in diabetes is right there. Wow. You don't even, we didn't, we just drove and we ended up there and brought Pete in and they checked him in and said, go sit down. We hadn't even made it to our seat and, and they called his name wow. and immediately he was on um, IV drips and they were putting insulin into his body and we were introduced to this thing called type 1 diabetes we had never heard of before wow. and he was in ICU for I think four nights three nights and in, in the hospital for four and they taught us uh, everything we needed to know to be able to live with type 1 diabetes but when he was laying there 
in, in ICU and he's almost passed out from uh, this acidosis problem where you can you can die from. Um, and the doctors are all rushing in and they're putting all these things into him. And uh, I was running, I had to move the vehicle, but Carol was there and a chaplain came in and said uh, to, to Carol, I always find it hard to tell the story, but the, the, she, he said, do you believe in prayer? And she said, yes, I'm praying right now. And she started praying for time with, you know, with her son. And that experience for us was the third catalyst. And we realized right then and there, what is more important than having a more time with our kid? If, if we can get him through this, God, if you can get him through this and we can get out of here together and we're still a family, we will use every moment together that we have. Mm. And so three catalysts that changed our life. You know, we went back, we sold the house, nothing was of more importance and we carried on our journey and, um, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> wow. We built all these incredible experiences together over the years and, uh, and built the business while we're doing it. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, I feel when you can have that type of crystallized clarity as to what, what the importance of where your priorities are, that is a gift, you know, and then to be able to take action on it and say, okay, well, we know what this means. We know where our time's going, where our energy's going. Cause like, like you said, it is, um, just the reality of life where any parent can relate to the, the, when you're faced with the finiteness of the time you have with your kiddo, everything else really fades in its importance. It really does. Um, and, and, and speaking to that, you know, you talk about this time that you get with your kids, the long conversations, <clears throat> and then even sharing those three things, you know, that were cat catalysts. Uh, I, I think that you're kind of speaking to a lot of parents' hearts. You know, a lot of people are probably saying, Yes, that's what I want. You know, whether your children are 5, 10, 15, you know, teenagers, you, you, you're like, I want time with them. I want that uninterrupted conversation. I want the busyness of this life to be quieted so that I can have these conversations. Uh, and, and yet there's not always a clear step on how to do that, right? That's the longing of a lot of parents' hearts, I think. And what would you say? Because it doesn't always work for people to say, okay, we're going to sell everything and hit the road. That might that might be a poor decision for a lot of people, you know, like whether depending on what they're, you know, I mean, bringing a whole bunch of financial stress into your home might not be the best thing, right? Um, or bring, bringing the logistics of travel. Um, and so, you know, when you talk, because it, it sounds like you talk to a lot of families that probably have this desire, is there kind of like a framework that you give them to think through so that they, they know, okay, is it right for us to hit the road? Is it right for us to sell everything and live off the grid when they're want, what they're wanting is that kind of what you articulated that carefree time with their children while their children are young. Yeah. There, yeah, there is no one simple formula, but I think you hit on it in that, you know, you can't, you don't want to bring more stress upon yourself. So traveling isn't that was our dream. Um, it's not everybody's dream. So depending on your situation, your financial situation, if your number one goal is to spend more time with your kids, that is a good goal to have. And while they're young, you know, and, and, um, and so you'll find a way to make it fit into your existing lifestyle, perhaps even with work, you know, you may be in our chapter two, where we said, well, we're going to just travel together for these short trips. That way dad's not away all the time, you know, rather we didn't jump right into the the traveling thing that came you know chapter five down the road so do it now in whatever situation you are at, at the place you are you know i have lots of brothers who care just as much about their family but they haven't gone traveling um, maybe their dream as a family was to build an orchard out back and spend more time together you know in their backyard so they invested in that area um i have a brother who had a young son who's um What's uh, cerebral palsy? He was born with CP, and so he's very limited on what he could do. But that has become his life, and that kid is one of the happiest kids you'll ever meet. He can't walk like his siblings, but they were up here snowmobiling, and he's strapped to his dad, and he thinks he's driving, and he's like, "Oh, faster, faster!" He's just having the most amazing life. But but my brother and his wife, they're like, "That is pouring into our family. That that 
is you know having as many good times together with our our children in the situation we are we couldn't possibly travel with them but we've made our life and our goals and dreams in a different mm. way mm. and so the really the most important thing isn't whether you travel or, or live off grid or whatever it's do you have you found a way to to spend time with your kids and yes if that's your number one priority i guarantee you'll find a really cool way to do that absolutely and so absolutely. enjoy each chapter as you go because they're all amazing yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Well, can you kind of share some? Uh, you know, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but maybe give us some highlights if you can, some high moments of of hitting the road, and then maybe think of some low moments. You know, just some some high moments that really stand out. You know, as a family, and then some low moments over the last. Is, is it seven years now? That how, how where are we? Twenty sixteen, we went. Okay. We started traveling and and a combination of traveling and off-grid living. So we yep. come here to the island in the summer sometimes. So it was a mix of both. Yes. But um, yeah, I, you know, the, after we, uh, after Pete got sick and recovered, we came back, he saw his doctor for, we spent about two months and we went, we were in Oregon at the time, we drove up from California, we went back to Oregon and he climbed South Sister, which you guys are familiar yes, with. Of course. You know, uh, two months after being in ICU. So wow. he was learning how to manage his blood sugar and it was just, so he just embraced it. And, and then we went abroad. We went to New Zealand, which was just incredible. We shipped our Jeep over there and spent six months living on the beaches and in the mountains. Wow. And one of the highlights came while we were there because we left with the value to create a remarkable experience. We had our eyes open for that. And we were, <clears throat> the kids had dreamed of going to this place called Abel Tasman National Park. It's a, it's a beautiful national park. It was hard to get in there, but there's, you know, diving and hiking. And it's a spectacular place. We finally secured a place and we were setting up camp when they got a text from here in America and they were watching on national news uh, that there was a whale stranding in New Zealand. And they said, have you heard of that? And we said, no. So they looked it up and sure enough, it was, we were on the South Island and about four hours drive from where we were, a place called Farewell Spit, one of the most remote places in New Zealand. There was this, what they were calling the stranding of whales in New Zealand history. And they were desperate for volunteers. And so the kids just started packing up camp. We didn't even think about it. And we we drove all the way up there. And they warned, they said, you know, there's no water source up here other than salt water. There's no stores for food. So make sure you come prepared. But our rig is, you know, we got fridges and everything in there. So we get up there and the sun is just going down. And there's a volunteer group on hand called Project Jonah. And they said, set up your camp here by the, by the beach. There's nothing we can do in the dark. But uh, get a good night's sleep and then be here at 5 five o'clock in the morning and we'll do a briefing uh, on the day. So we had a good night's sleep. We got up and um, they taught us basic whale first aid. And what there was, was uh, 120 pilot whales that were still alive. Some had already perished on shore. These other ones were all alive and scattered throughout the uh, the bay there. And the tide, when the tide goes out, they get stranded. And so um, they taught us about how to maintain those whales because they'll die in the hot sun and how to take care of them and do first aid, but also how not to get hurt. They're related to the orcas. And so, you know, they're not aggressive like an orca, but if their teeth come down on your leg, you'll lose a leg. So they taught us all that stuff. And then out we went and we spent the day, you know, putting sheets on the whales and, and pouring buckets of water to keep them cool. And they're calling out with these loud distress calls. And uh, they're very intelligent mammals. And they're looking you right in the eye. And they're wow. saying, you know, I'm, a, I'm one of the God's greatest creations. I'm an acrobat underwater. I can swim all the way around the world. They're the only species that can recognize uh, another whale over a year of separation. They've proven that. Wow. And the only species that's so intelligent, they've learned a second language so they can speak with dolphins. I mean, they're incredible beasts. And they're looking at you going, you know, I'm pretty incredible beast, but right now I need your help. I'm stranded. I'm not designed for this. And they're like tons and tons of blubber just laying there. So we were out there our job was to push them upright so because they'll drown if the if the tide comes in and they're on their side because they breathe uh, out of a hole in the top of their head so people my size were gathering together and we're trying to pull push them up and uh wet before the tide comes rushing in and the kids are keeping them all wetted down with other volunteers of course and then the tide starts coming in and uh and so we had to get one vol one to two volunteers per whale and just hold them up as the tide gets deeper and deeper. And they say with the tide comes stingrays and sharks. So you stamp your feet and make noise. And we held our ground and it got deeper and deeper. And I was on a whale right closest to the ocean. 
And he started to free up and, and become buoyant. And so I started pushing with all my might and he, he swam into the bay and everyone around cheered. We had freed one whale and then he turned around and he came right back and re-beached. And just then a guy from the Department of Con Conservation was coming by and he said, uh, he goes, I appreciate what you tried to do there, but these whales are so pod oriented, so family oriented, they will not swim away from their mates. And so he said, what we're going to do is wait till the biggest ones, the matriarchs in the back are floating. When all the whales are floating, I'll give a command to push and then we'll push them all at once and see if they'll stay out. And so we waited and it got deeper and deeper. And it was almost up to Dan's neck. And he's like, I'm not leaving my whale. And then we heard the, the command to push and everybody began to push their whales and they got farther and farther out. And soon all of them were swimming in the bay. And so we grabbed hands and formed a human chain so that they wouldn't come back into some of the mates that had perished on shore. And we held hands, we stomped our feet, made noise and tried to scare them further into the bay. And so now you've got just 120 whales all breaching and swimming in front of us. And then right in front of us, the amount of whales looked like it at least doubled. Wow. And and we're and we found out later that these loud distress calls they made many miles out to sea. And another pod of whales had heard the distress calls and rerouted into the bay to see what they could do to help out. And so now there's a, they estimated 300 whales in front of us, all breaching and swimming and calling. And we're holding our hands and we're stomping our feet and we're yelling to scare them out. And um, eventually they began to swim further and further out to sea and eventually disappeared out of sight. Wow. And uh, they told us later that that pod had come in to adopt the orphaned whales into their pod. And and that night they kept a watch out. And the next morning, none of them had rebeached, So they all made it. And, swam off to where they belong in the ocean and so pretty incredible uh you know you could watch that on a movie or or read about it in a book but the kids got to get their hands out there wet wow. and dirty and help the yeah no joke i mean that felt like i was watching a movie honestly just hearing you describe that and to and to think that you guys were there but something that's you know unique of course you guys were in the right place, you know, for that opportunity, you were together as a family, but your kids were gung ho. They were, they, they had built up confidence and it's really hard to find places to practice on beaching whales around, you know, so it's not like you had a ton of experience, I'm guessing, and, and, you know, working, working in that way. Uh, and so I just love that. And do you feel like that's something that you've been proactive in just equipping your kids with confidence to learn new things? Cause when I watch your videos, of course you've, gain new skills because you're always in new environments and there's changing circumstances. And so you can't know everything when you go, when you set out. And so how do you keep that mindset in your kids of, well, yeah, we want to be safe. You know, you want to be wise, but yeah, we want to test ourselves and challenge ourselves because when you do, you have amazing experiences like this that nobody else can probably really relate to. So how do you keep that attitude of, of growth? Yeah, it's, it, I think it this lifestyle lends itself to that. So you're constantly faced with something new. Um, people would say, how did you go from 100 miles an hour as CEO of your company to zero miles an hour on a trip? And I was like, it was 100 miles an hour too, because every day is something new. Every night we're parking in an unfamiliar place. Um, so I think it it grew on us to always be facing new challenges and to dive in, you know, learn, like you said, learn the, how to be safe with it, but be excited about learning new opportunities, pushing yourself out of the comfort zone where you kind of go to die in your comfort yes. zone. You know, all yes. growth in business was outside of that zone and, mm. and same in life. Yes. We actually, we, we, we were so, having family values is so important, same in business. And we have eight principles, which you can watch on a video. I think it's called, um, on our YouTube channel, it's called Season 6 Finale. Okay. And we go through our eight principles. But we had these three core values, work, play, and care. Work, because in life, nothing good comes unless you work hard for it play because there's an epidemic of stress and anxiety in the world and we thought if we could just play like kids like we did when we were kids we could avoid that that epidemic and care create a remarkable experience that was always top of mind so there were other people that heard about the whales and they just said oh interesting and they went back to their hike that they had planned or the dive they had planned for the next day i think because our values were so clear because we re reviewed them regularly as a family we're like, well, we're here not just to enjoy ourselves. We're here to care. How, hmm. how can we make the places we visit better than we found them? So it naturally, you just like, well, we have to go. Let's go. We're acting on our values. It becomes subconscious. So yes, 
we've had many, many opportunities to uh, act out on those values. Yes. Yeah. I like, you, you know, it seems like companies will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to establish their core values. They say, okay, what, who are we going to be? And they'll do team retreats and they'll, you know, go to the mountains and, you know, go put forth so much effort. And yet not often do we do that as families, you know, the, this, where we say, what, who, what are we about? What, what are, what's going to be the filter in which we make decisions, you know, going forward. And so I, I really like that you emphasize that. All right. Well, can you share a, a hard story? I mean, you, you shared this story of Dan, but something that was, you know, truly challenging for you to all work through together as a family. Probably the, the most challenging was, um, when, when COVID hit, we were down South, uh, we were right on the border and, uh, of Mexico. Okay. And they started saying as Canadians, you need to get back home across the border before a certain date, or you might be, I, I, I don't know. Nobody knew anything back then. It was so yeah. confusing, but we just yeah. said, okay, well, let's go back for the 12 days and then we'll come back. Mm. <laughs> anyway, we, we raced up North and us, uh, we ended up in British Columbia, Canada. And so we, everyone was about, um, isolation. Well, we lived that way. So we went into the mountains and, um, we get ourselves into a place you know way back in the mountains where the, the dirt trails turn into snow and then they got more snowy and we just kept going we're all having conversation laughing and talking over the radios just having fun and then we didn't realize we're, we're gaining elevation like crazy and and then we come up to a, an avalanche that snow avalanche that had just taken out the road <clears throat> and so as parents carol and i are like well that's the end of the road let's turn around and find another route but when you have teenagers they're like well maybe not. <laughs> How about we put it in four and let's see if we can go over that avalanche. Sure enough, we, we end up spending, you know, put, putting the Jeeps in four wheel drive and just working our way. And we actually crossed the snow avalanche successfully with both Jeeps. And then we kept going into the mountains and we ended up in a place where the snow consistency turned more to ice balls and everything. And we got stuck really bad. And that didn't stop us. We just naturally got out. The kids were dragging lines to trees and we're winching our, we called it winching for inches. We kept going and going and it nightfall came and we're in the top of a mountain in the middle of the wilderness. This is grizzly country and, and we're stuck completely helplessly stuck. And so we said, well, where are we camping right here? Yeah. <laughs> so we set up camp, um, spent the night and said, tomorrow we'll get up and we'll try to keep going. See what we had on our, our GPS was a 90 minute route over the mountain to a small village where we were going to refuel that 90 minutes ended up taking three days wow of just hard work busting and in the end we didn't make it wow so in the end we, we had to turn around and and work our way back out retreating before we run out of fuel in the mountains but it was one of the hardest work jobs we ever did in terms of hundreds of, of winch pulls if you know what that's like and you're yes. pulling this line 150 feet in front of you tying it around a tree and then slowly busting yourself out of the snow. There were times where we we're underneath the Jeep, just digging ourselves out. They were so stuck. What impressed Carol and I though, is these three teenagers never lost hope, never complained. Just, and in fact, there was a time where I, I'm, I'm supposed to be the guy kind of coming with a vision where I was like, we're almost in trouble here. We had GPS, um, like, uh, sorry, satellite communicator. So, I was sending locations to my brother so they knew where we were the whole time. Like there's no cell service up there. It's only sat comms and worst case scenario, we have a rescue button and they'll come get us. Didn't ever want to use that. But, um, they, we encouraged each other throughout this trial. You know, it was tough going. The second night was harder than the first. The third, we woke up to the sound of rain mm -hmm. and we, we had been praying as Christians, we were, we were you know, there must be some uh, lesson in this for us and also help us out. You know, we're getting, out of <laughs> amen. And then we hear rain and we're like, no, like that's either the worst thing or maybe it's a, it was the answer. And sure enough, it was a, an immediate answer to prayer because the rain changed the consistency of the snow where we have really good tires and we have all the, everything you would want to get out of that situation. But the snow was such that you couldn't. But the rain changed the snow more to a packing snow, and all of a sudden we could start getting grip. And so we started, we did like a 30 point turn on a very narrow bridge. And there was, at this point, there was nowhere to winch to. So we knew if we get stuck here, we're, this is the last straw. But we were able to turn the both Jeeps around and then start using our old tracks with this new rain 
which caused it to be grippier snow. And we worked our way, we attached the two Jeeps together by a winch. And so if I'd get stuck, Pete would pull me back hmm. and then I'd ram through. And if he'd get stuck, I'd winch him forward and we, hmm. we made it out. Wow. And, um, so yeah, tough, tough situation, wow. but it all worked out in the end. Wow. Love that. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Peter, I tell you what, this has been such a joy to hear from you. There's so much like adventure and fun and inspiration that comes from your story um, on so many levels. I mean, I feel like, and this is, I mean, I guess this is why, you know, it's great that you have a YouTube channel because I feel like I can direct people there and they can continue hearing uh, from you and and I want to make sure I do that link your website and is there any other any other place people can find you I know you, you guys are on Instagram you're on YouTube you've got a book and where's where's your book available they can go so I'm a professional speaker now that speaking's back um, I've been doing more engagement so I'm really happy about that um, I petervanstralen.com is my speaking website and then there's a link to the book there or, or you can search it on Amazon, but you'd, you'd have to say care leadership, Peter Van Stralen, Got and it. it'll come. Great. Wow. Thank you so much, Peter, for your time. This has been such an encouragement and inspiration and yeah, I love, I love everything you, you guys put out. So please, you know, encourage, encourage the rest of the family, let them know that my wife and I, Katie and I love it. We, we were just with Katie's family last week and they said to say hi to you guys you know it's just been such a blessing is that they get to know you and that we get to know you guys so keep up the good work and blessings on blessings on your guys's life all right thank you so much say hi to everyone and hopefully we can get out west uh, in the near future and see everyone in person yes we need to hit the mountain again do some skiing all right Bye.